Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together, each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And greetings gardening friends. Today's show is sponsored by Soil Solver, Landscape Industries Association Product of the Year. The answer lies in the soil. We've got Bev Daring out there ready to roll. She's on the phones, 94841927. John Glidden standing by. You can email us if you like. We have an email address of gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Big shout out to the dynamic duo Mark Carlton and, of course, Chris Bartlett. And our cycling DJ will be back at 10 with the classic 70s Jim Crinan. So thank you, boys, for the entertainment this morning. Uh, we all enjoy. Good morning, Faye Caro. Good morning, Ray Burton. Oh, quite puffed here. I'm oh. good. Yeah, we made it. What a week. Another, Another week. week. We're rocketing, aren't we, towards the pointy end of the year. And when I reflect back, it just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is that, that old saying, life is like a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> the, more you, the closer you get to the end, the quicker it goes. Oh. I think of that <laughs> as my analogy. Oh, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that, actually. Oh, have you had a good week, Ray? Not bad. Not bad at all. So A yeah. little bit of gardening, a little bit not of rain? Not enough. Not enough. A little bit of tweaking here and there. Like, I do... I do like a 10-minute job here and there. Does that make sense? 10-minute jobs are great. Yeah, that's about all I can get mm. up to sometimes. So I just try and squeeze something in. I'll, I'll you know, I might, it, might be, it might be just something basic like a little bit of watering. I was out last night at about 6 o'clock or no, after 6 doing a job and I got in at 10 to 7 and, um, you know, that's how I do it. I just have to try and say, okay, today I'm going to do this little bit and off I go. Way to go. Yeah, way to go. I, I actually got out and fertilised my geraniums again. They are going gangbusters. The ivy geraniums are spilling over the hanging baskets. They're up on the veranda behind my roses and the roses are blooming. They're looking stunning. I was mm. counting the pink rose yesterday. There's about 17 buds yeah, about yeah. to burst. Yeah, no. And I, I planted my geraniums in the hang baskets with lobelia and yeah, that's a perfect combination just, oh they're they're just looking fabulous and the mm. clivias too i've got an orange one and a lemon one mm. that got an, a pot upgrade because it was breaking out mm. and yeah. so, so much color in the garden jumping. yeah no everything is looking amazing out there albeit where are we now uh November. first week into november i think we're still as i've said i still think we're about a month Yes, I think so. It's okay. And I think the emails that we've seen coming Mm. through about uh, leaves either changing colour, going to autumn colours. Yeah, I've got that also. Well, it's it's a trigger of temperatures. Yeah. You know, normally at this time we would probably have a little bit more consistent warm weather without the rain. Our evenings are fresh. Mm. I've had the heater on this week. 
you know, who puts a heater on in November? Well, I've collected firewood to have a fire. Yeah, there you go. I'm just waiting for the next cold snap. Yeah, no, so this is why. Okay, 94841927. We'll tell you about our program in a moment, of which we always organise, or Faye always organises a great one. We're heading to Armadale. Anna, how are you? Good morning, ladies. How are you both? Very good, good thanks, Anna. How can we help you? Um, I've tried to get some pawpaw trees from the big green shed, but they don't have any in stock. I bought a fruit which had some seeds in it, pawpaw seeds. Yes. Um, I have in the past grown my own with mixed success. Is there any way of telling from the fruit whether or not something that you expend lots of time and energy and water on um, will it eventually bear fruit or will it be sterile? Well, uh, <laughs> pawpaws have a very interesting sex life, Anna. They can be male or female or bisexual, in which case you will get both flowers on the same tree. Now, you you may be able to determine that once they flower and it's possible that if you went to a reputable supplier, you may be able to get one that is guaranteed to fruit. So, um, yeah, you could easily grow them from seed. They germinate very easily and they grow very well. But it might be some years before you can tell what you've actually got. I see. Thank you. Mm. All right, so, then. And I shall yes, persevere. I think you will also find that... Nursery stores, uh, such as the hardware one you mentioned, would only have them in at a time where they're looking good. You see, like Ray and I were just talking about, the cold weather has taken uh, its time waiting for things to come into season. So the nurseries won't actually stock them until the plants are looking good. And they're, they're more warm weather. They don't like to be cold and wet. So. I see. Yeah, probably going into the summer is more likely, but you might be able to put your name down for one as well. And there's some great fruit tree nurseries out there, Anna. Thank you very much. I'd rather much. send you off in that direction, actually, yeah, to specialists mm. that grow and uh, right. supply. All right, then. Thank you very much, ladies. All right, Take you're care. welcome, Anna. Have, Have a great day. Have a good weekend. Thank we'll you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 20 past eight, we're chatting to Steve Falcioni from Organic Crop Protectants. It's their 30th anniversary celebrations as well. And they've got a new product that we would like to learn more about, a snug and slail, snail, <laughs> a snug slug, and slail. snail and slug treatment. Gee, what a tongue, tongue twister, uh, <laughs> organic. So let's just see uh, about this new product because you and I have both been saying snails and slugs are at a premium this year. They along with are. the well, rain. With, with the rain, you you know, yeah. these sort of critters that like cold, wet weather are just doing, yeah, great stuff in the garden. They certainly Harboring. are. Harboring. Yes, they certainly are. Now, let's go to Leeming. We're talking about flies in pot plants. Sue, good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, look, I feel like you may have um, touched on this in earlier programs, but at that stage I didn't have a problem. Um, I've recently uh, repotted an indoor plant and I don't know, those little tiny flies, they seem uh, to be breeding in the soil, I yes, think. Yes, and it sounds like what you're describing is fungus gnats, Sue. 
little tiny, they'll fly out of the soil, they'll be around the surface, and their larvae actually do damage to the roots. Now, what what is the pot plant that you've got? Oh, I don't actually know what it is. It's one of those with leaves that grows and you can't kill, basically, because I can basically kill anything. Okay. It's one that survived and survived. They, right. um, it just sprouts, keeps keeps coming. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know what it's called. That's okay. No, I was just going to say one thing that you could probably do for now is to put it outside and let it dry out. If you wanted to treat it, um, there are products available. Econeem is one. Right. And there is also a gnat barrier that I've seen available online. And gnat, also sorry. a gnat barrier, G-N-A-T. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, but, okay. but also right. having a layer of gravel on the top of the soil can also help. Oh, all right. Will that sort of kill the ones that are already there, do you think? or? The, the Once gravel, the gravel yeah. won't. But as larva, when they complete their cycle, they will come out of the soil. Oh, okay. So we want to discourage them from going back. So creating a layer of of something like the the small rocks or gravel on the surface discourages right. them from liking that environment, and they're less likely. But the problem is, the soil is too wet. So you want to break right. that cycle. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's you know it's so disappointing when I I can kill everything. I've managed to keep this one alive. <laughs> so so happy with yourself, Sue, aren't you? <laughs> There's also uh, potting mixes, indoor potting mixes on the market now that are designed and they say uh, nat proof. So you oh. know, yeah. So oh, they're worth okay. looking into. Some new indoor. Uh, potting plant mixes and uh, apparently they are very much aware of uh, certain ingredients in general potting mix that uh, will bring or encourage uh, the gnats so these are designed around that so it's worth having a look okay lovely so lots of options yes thank thank you very much okay Okay. no worries love cheers for that bye-bye and of course, our special guest this morning is no other than the president of the Fern Society of WA, John Banasavage. And we love to have John in here. Wealth of knowledge. One of yes. Faye's bestest friends as well. Well, last weekend, Ray, we were asked about uh, someone who could put a staghorn onto a board. A That's special right. staghorn had fallen off. Mm. And I know, I, I'm pretty sure that the question was someone who could do it. So, of course, naturally, I just thought of John and mm. he did. He completed the task this week, and uh, oh, so did I he thought do it? Oh, we, wow, we'll get him man. to run through how it how needs he... to be done. And mm. there was a bit of an X factor with this one. It was mm. it wasn't a simple task. It mm. wasn't just as simple as putting it onto a new board. So John will tell us all about that. And of course, the Fern Society meets tomorrow, and next weekend is the combined show with the Palm and SICAD Society. So we'll provide uh, all the details later. And on this weekend, Ray, what what weekend is it? It'd be the Bob Melville Rose Garden That's weekend. right. That's yes. on today and tomorrow. I'm going to pop up. Yeah, mm, me definitely. too. Definitely, yeah.
wouldn't miss it so, for quids. So today and tomorrow, as part of Open Gardens WA, Bob's Garden is open to the for public. For the very first time, and that's up in Carmel. And uh, that address is 26 Mottram Street in Carmel, M-O-T-T-R-A-M. So, yes, I think that will be... You will not walk away disappointed. I can. I already know that without seeing the garden. Well, it's we acres Bob. and acres, we and he's been yeah. working at this for a lifetime. And, of course... He's a perfectionist. Allow, allow plenty of time because Melville's mm. Rose and Garden is just next door. You're going to get another inspired. beautiful garden. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy roses. You can wander around and look at all the beautiful yeah. salvias yeah. and cottage garden plants. And yeah. what a great day for it. Yes, I have a rose that I need to collect. So I will mm. be calling in and making it a, a oh, quinella. Oh, rose? I'm going for a blue moon, actually. Ah. Yeah, yeah, because of its colour and fragrance. Mm. Yeah, because I like blue, you see. And I know there's no such thing as a true blue rose, but this does have a true blue. True blue. True blue. Aussie. A true blue. <laughs> and it has a beautiful hue of, of mm. you know, when I look at it sideways, at one corner of my eye, I can see blue. I've convinced myself. So, yeah. Nice. I'll get a blue moon. And, now, where um, are you going to fit that, Ray? In a pot. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's got a very large pot, I might add. Yeah, because I don't, I you know, I I have pots, but I, I think most of our plants do so much better in the ground. Mm. They really do. They're much happier, but hey. So it won't know it's in a pot because it's it'll going be in a big pot. And he needs some friends in there as well. Oh, yeah. a thriller, a filler and yeah, a spiller. Exactly. What were you putting in I have no that? idea yet. Lobelias are lovely. They are mm. fantastic for a period of time. Yes, yeah. yeah. Because but they, that's what is great about annuals. You, yeah. you know, there's something for every mm, season that yeah. gives you that X factor. Actually, that would look great, wouldn't it? The blue moon and the deep blue lobelia under it. Goodness me. And then probably a contrast. Yeah. So then you need a filler, don't you? Mm. So the thriller mm. is your rose. The mm. spiller is the lobelia. And the filler, mm, maybe, maybe vinkers. Or is that a bit too plain? Yeah, I, I, look, I always think vinkers and things are plain until I went up to their garden in Wanneroo and saw what she, in Karama, sorry, and saw what they've done with vinkers. And I have, I just did a complete 360 on that because of the colour combinations and the way that they were put together and the oomph. And I thought, I I tend to get a bit old tut-tut about these things, but uh, not anymore. When I see, you know, you have to use your imagination. You have to be clever about it. But so... And if there's some gorgeous petunias use... out there at the moment, some really yes. different new-looking uh, uh, varieties. The pet, petals are... So what know, are we? what's going to give us the best bang for bang, buck, best I wonder? Best bang for buck. And we might have to speak to Trevor about best bang for buck <laughs> in potted colour. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so many choices. I mean, we've got we've got ageratum and, yeah. of course, the uh, alisum is a great... Spiller mm, all around, yeah. and you know I love Alisman. Of course, you can get them in different colours. Uh, Impatience are back on the market. Yes, they've been away for a lot of years. Snapdragons, tough as, yeah, and and great plants. I don't know if Grandma did it for you, but squeezing the side petals so they kind of talk to you. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about, Ray? <laughs> You do. I do. I do. <laughs> so if you've got snapdragons and you haven't done that before, go out and mm. just put your fingers, and, and your thumb and your forefinger behind the flower petal and squeeze. <laughs> Ray's doing the mouth action and yeah. they open They open up. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know when they go to, to seed, they look like skeletons. 
I've had snapdragons and I had neighbours <laughs> criticise me and go, who plants snapdragons in their oh, garden? Seriously, just, I know. The old-fashioned plants are just the best. They certainly <laughs> are, like geraniums, I agree. Oh, yes. Okay, we'll be back in a moment and we will be chatting with Steve Falcioni from Organic Crop Protectants. Curtain Radio. You're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. As promised, we have Steve Falcioni on the line. He's the marketing manager of Eco Organic Gardens. Steve, good morning. Hey, good morning, ladies. How are you? Very good. Congratulations and happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, a big number kicked over um, recently. 30 years. That's, That's pretty impressive, Steve. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. And if you think back 30 years ago, uh, the concept mm. of organics was certainly not mainstream. Um, sure, you know, the likes of yourselves and others were around pushing it, but it certainly wasn't what um, mainstream gardeners were thinking about. So a little bit ahead of our times, I think. And I'd yeah. like to think that we played a small part in helping to promote it along the way. For sure. And how long have you been involved? Oh, I've been with OCP a total of 11 years now. Right. So kind of a, a third of the time. So yeah, how did I it start out? Oh, okay. So way, way, way back in 91, uh, there's a fellow called Leyland Minter, and he had a like a horticultural and an agricultural background and had worked in the industry for years, mainly with chemical companies. But he kind of thought to himself that, Surely there was a way to look at using science to develop organic solutions. And he had a working relationship with a lady called Dr. Doreen Clark. He'd used her services um, for chemistry reasons because she was a chemist. Like in organic chemistry, that was her expertise. And he teamed up with her and said, hey, can we use your knowledge of chemistry but turn it towards good kind of thing? Like, (laughs) Let's look at look at ways to solve common agricultural and and gardening problems without resorting to synthetic Mm. ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so they they set to work and um, the first product they created was called Sinitrol and we still have it. It's um, in our commercial division and it's for helping um, sprays to stick better onto foliage and Mm. to reduce drift. So really important in the commercial space, particularly because it makes it more efficient um, and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, that was the very beginning um, all that time ago. And from there, they kind of went from strength to strength, really, developing one thing after another. More people came on board and you know, away we went. Actually, Doreen got a Order of Australia uh, a few years back for her contribution to science. Wow. Just what she did with OCP, but she's been involved with lots and lots of things, um, all to do with promoting science and education and all sorts of things. She has a camellia named after her as well. Oh, that's nice. She's a pretty cool lady. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so that's the beginning. Wow. And I know, you know, it was some years ago when I was doing aquaponics and looking at the bugs in the system because it was all one environment. Whatever you used on the vegetable beds, you had to be mindful of their impact on fish. And that's when I really started looking at integrated pest management and what, what was safe for the environment, the good bugs, fish. Um, and I I came across um, the eco-fungicide. Um, it used oh, to be called yeah. the eco-rose. And 
magnesium mm. bicarbonate? Potassium bicarbonate. Potassium bicarbonate. Oh, it's yeah. a long time <laughs> since I've like looked at the labels, I guess. But, you know, then I started to understand that, of course, potassium is what we add to encourage flowering. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't harmful to the fish. Like, there was... It all just started to make sense. And, and it's a fungicide as well. So something that's safe to spray on your roses mm. is going to ward against black spot or powdery mildew isn't going to hurt the good bugs and is maybe going to help the flowering like and it's organic That's so awesome. yeah, yeah. and if you're doing it on um on edible plants there's no withholding period well that's so, right so it's, it's like tick, it's, tick 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 exactly yeah, exactly mm. uh, but you touch on something that is actually really important to us as a company and that's about um creating products that sure they're organic and that they work you know obviously that's that's a no-brainer for us Mm. but also that are not harmful to beneficial insects Mm. or have minimal impact on the environment as an ongoing thing because personally we we don't really see any point in creating something to fix one problem if you create creating up yeah so true Mm. yeah so and it's not always easy you know there's, there's lots of high benchmarks to create registered products um so they they have to go through government rigour to pass to say, yes, this will genuinely control this problem. But then to go through the organic standards is another challenge in itself. And then because we set our own internal benchmark about um, safety for beneficials and whatnot, it, it doesn't mean we don't always churn out things every five seconds, but when mm. we do, they're good. They're mm. good. Tell us about your latest product then. Oh, nice segue there, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we launched an organic snail pellet this year. Mm. So good timing for our 30th anniversary. It's called Eco Shield, yeah. and they're pellets, so they're easy to use. You know, just scatter them around in, in the way that people are used to using snail control products. Um, but the difference is it's certified organic or proof for use in organic gardens, so you can use it really nearly um, around your vegetables, no withholding period. Its active ingredient is powdered iron. So for snails, um, that's toxic to them when they ingest it. But for the environment, when you throw it around, the pellets actually break down into nutrients for the soil and food. Mm. So once they've done their job, they're not, you know, you're not leaving some nasty thing like um, you know, in a lot of other pellets, you've got methiocarb or metaldehyde. Uh, you know, synthetic ingredients that I'm not really much of a fan of. Um, whereas here, we're just breaking down to, to carbon and iron, essentially. Going right. into the ground. Of course, they'd still be dangerous to pets, etc., wouldn't they? Yes. So iron, when consumed in large quantities, can definitely be toxic to animals. Mm. So it's not, it, it, does, it, it does come with some risk. I'm trying to think mm. how to... Um, phrase that in the clearest way. So it is important that people read the label Mm. um, and use it responsibly. Don't just throw it around and and think that there's no risk at all. Mm. Um, So the important things to be wary of is to apply it at the correct rate. Don't Mm. overdo it. And if you spill a bunch of pellets, clean them up. Don't leave a large sort of pile of them there for something to come along and gobble them up like a, you know, a hungry dog or anything like that. Mm. And the actual carton itself, it should always be put somewhere that's sort of safe. So in a cupboard, out of reach. Yes. You can't have a, a pet come and sniff it and um, decide to Access. break into the, the carton yeah. and eat a whole lot. Yeah. So if you follow those rules, then you're okay. 
Um, and also, like, you know, some people feed their pets um, pelleted. Is that the right word? Pelleted dog food or cat food? Um, you know, the little... Yeah, biscuits. Um, dry. Or, yeah, dry food. Yeah. So when, when they're um, emptying that out, it makes a sound. And mm, so exactly. So they think pellet, it's the same. There is a potential risk there. So be mindful of that sort of stuff. You know, if you're applying it... Um, have your pets away so they don't hear the noise or notice yeah, it kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I was watching uh, BHG last night and Charlie Alboni was talking about snail pellets and he, he, he made reference to iron-based pellets. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. he wasn't talking about any specific brand, I don't think. Uh, he said, but they're okay for animals, you know, and okay to throw them around. And my antenna went up because I thought that that mm-hmm. was still a big problem. And, of course, he said that on national TV. And it concerns me because when I've spoken to vets, they said don't be fooled into thinking that they're okay. They're not okay. Yeah, you're definitely right. Mm. So, um, the, the original types of synthetic chemicals that were used for snail pellets um, like meteor carbon metaldehyde, um, are certainly a lot more toxic. Mm. Iron-based ones have reduced toxicity, yeah. um, but they, but there's not zero risk. Yeah. So when the iron-based products first started coming out, I know some of the packaging had on it big prominent um, yeah. you know, pet-safe marketing stuff, and exactly. I noticed that a lot of that has disappeared. Yes. And I've, I'm guessing... Those those companies have been pulled up. Um, Question about it, perhaps. Yeah, no, I was disappointed to hear that said on TV last night because people, you know, trust what they are told by, uh, you know, people with credibility. And I thought, oh, please God, that people don't go and buy these products and just, you know, think that it's okay to uh, distribute around the yard because they've they've heard it, you know, from. A expert, and uh, yeah, if you've got animals, I just think you have to be, you know, it's hard enough with gardening and animals, I think, because so many plants are toxic and poisonous, and uh, it's it's a bit of a minefield. So, yeah, it's better to err yeah. on the side of caution, huh? Steve, last week we I got an email from yeah. Yang, and um, they asked about the risks to worms with snail pellets. Uh, so with ours, with the Eco Shield, no risk at all. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah. Awesome. So, like, like I said, it'll break down into carbon and iron. Um, doesn't contain any nasty things, for one of the <laughs> better expression. Uh, but yeah, definitely do it. I mean, don't pour two kilos of it in one no. spot, kind of no, thing, because obviously exactly. it's going to take time for all that to break down. Um, but if it's used just scattered lightly around seedlings and the like, yeah, there's no concern at all. And have you had chili thrip issues over your way, Steve? <laughs> we haven't, thankfully. Um, Something you haven't had, it's been... good. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we yeah. did uh, last year, earlier this year, and uh, right now most people's roses are looking absolutely spectacular. As you know, we've had magnificent rains over here in Perth and uh, the gardens are just looking rather splendid and we want to keep it that way. Your product line, do you recommend anything to uh, deal with chili thrip? I don't have any products that are registered for controlling thrips, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. Um, so I know um, Eco Neem, so Neem itself is quite a broad spectrum mm. um, uh, insecticide for sap suckers and the like. And overseas it does have uh, thrips registration, uh-huh. not specifically chili thrips, but just thrips, thrips general. in general. Mm-hmm. How, however, it doesn't have it in Australia right. and we've not tested it. 
So I can't actually say to you, yes, yeah. go and use it. Um, I mean, legally, I, I can't say that. But also, I just haven't done the work, so I don't know about its efficacy. Steve, what about the eco-oil that's hippo-enhanced? And I, I had an experience in my garden where Trevor was filming for the Garden Gurus and he mm-hmm. asked permission to spray this. And, I, you know, you know what I'm like. I don't like sprays in my garden. <laughs> But I let him do it. And following that, I witnessed so many predators and and pollinators coming after that. There were ladybirds and lacewings. Um, the birds still came in. You know, it it surprised me. It's amazing. It, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so for, 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 I guess, for listeners' benefits, um, eco-oil is our botanical oil spray. Uh, works just by smothering in the way that lots of other oil sprays work. But its point of, its big point of difference is that we took us eight years of research, but we basically added some plant ingredients that made it smell a certain way. Yeah. And that particular smell, we kind of branded it hippo enhanced. Yes. Um, for long-winded reasons. But um, anyway, it means that when you spray it out there, it creates this smell that physically attracts predatory insects. So you weren't imagining it, Faye. Mm. Definitely, you were getting uh, lady beetles, lacewings, hoverflies. Uh, you know the little tiny parasitoid wasps. Oh yes, uh, not, we have a, quite a range. Yeah, yeah, but all the little tiny ones. You know, one two millimeters in size mm-hmm. that will come along and parasitize aphids and caterpillars and all sorts of common pests. So it's pretty extraordinary. Um, like I said, eight years of work to get there. Mm. Awesome stuff. And so I actually find that is a handy thing. Um, so, you, you know, you've got the proverbial rose bush covered in problems mm. and you spray and sure you're going to knock out um, your aphids and mites and things like that. But you're also pulling in all these hard workers to help clean up bits and pieces. Mm. Yesterday I watched a little lacewing larva patrolling a geranium flower and and they just like a, look like a little bit of dirt or a little bit of, you know, insect poo sitting on a leaf until they start motoring around Mm. looking for those little bugs. Mm. So, you know, those sorts of guys are the ones that potentially will clean up chilli thrips and eggs, anything that's small and soft. Yeah, whatever they can basically get and bite into. Mm. Did they have the little uh, dead bodies on their back? Oh, yes, (laughs) yes. But But I have seen a couple that have recently hatched from their eggs and oh. they they didn't have any dead bodies on their back. They just looked like a... They were naked. Yeah, they looked like little earwigs, like little tiny things, tiny, just tiny gorgeous. <laughs> they must be extraordinarily strong. You think to be you know, throwing the dead bodies on their back and still move around uh, and attack. Well, they move around like those <laughs> trucks you see in Asia that are heavily loaded to the hilt, you know, towering, <laughs> you know, with all sorts of furniture and whatnot and the, and the little wheels on them. Going round and get, round. Yeah, just yeah. bopping from side to side, staying upright. That's what they're like. They're oh, pretty amazing, guys. I know. So for our listeners, get out with your... Mic- uh, microscopes or magnifying glasses and camera lenses and see what you can find out there because it's just all alive at the moment. And Steve, sure you were saying you... Sorry? No, no, you go. I oh, know, you were saying you've just relocated yourself. I was wondering about that beautiful rooftop garden of yours. 
Well, yes, I did move, and I do not recommend moving, moving. during a a um a lockdown pandemic. Yes, uh, yes, was happening in Sydney yes. at the time, and I moved into one of the hotspot areas. So I kind of had a double whammy. Mm. Uh, and when it came to moving the plants, the removalists turned up on the morning. They took one look at the plants, shook their head, and said, "No, we're not doing that." Oh no. no. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean, no? To your head office and yeah. I find everything. Um, and, yeah, they didn't do it. So I had a mad scramble to find another company that would do it. Mm. Oh. Well, how and, long did that take, Steve, to move all your plants? Uh, well, it took them – it took a full day to move the mm, plants. Yeah. And the distance between the two properties was only about 10 k's. Mm. So there was no real travel time. Mm. It's all loading up massive pots and um, then unloading them. Yeah. And there were, oh God, there were casualties all along the way. There and... is. This is the problem, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I know. I know. Traumatic. We just have to grin and bear it and repair mm. it. But I'm in the new place and I'm, I'm actually looking at it now and I've got um, lots of little flowers happening and actually I've got one of the. Um, you know the kangaroo paws? Angus Stewart gave me a lilac one when he mm. was breeding it years ago. It's, it's released now, so people can buy it. It's just coming into flower. Absolutely stunning thing. The little velvety paws. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. Sounds like a pet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, they're my little plant babies. And so for OCP, what's next, Steve? Um, what's next? Well, I'm hoping that EcoShield will do very well. We actually got caught out a little bit because we we made a whole bunch of product according to what we think we would sell, and then we sold out. And suddenly it's like, oh, my God, what do you mean we've got none left to sell? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, good in a way because obviously it's done better than I thought, but mm. um, uh, we've only just made some more this week, so that's starting to roll out again into okay. stores and, and whatnot. And it's um, only just what... arrived in WA because we've been trying to get you on since August. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it was all part of that, yeah, the challenges, the constant mm. challenges. But it is in Bunning stores, um, not every single Bunning stores, but mostly the big ones in WA. And some of the independents got it before we ran out of stock, but some are waiting. Okay. So, so, yeah, there's a bit of a challenge. But I'll have more stock. Well, there's stock on, stock on its way now, making its way across the desert. Mm. Um, so, yeah, watch out. And then as for what's new, I'm working on a nematicide. So um, for controlling nematodes in the soil. Okay. We've already, already got it available in our commercial division. And I'm just working through whether or not it will be practical to get it into home garden as well. So for any of your listeners on horrible sandy soils that are struggling with, you know, distorted roots, nematodes are your problem most likely. Well, keep us um, posted, young man. Yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know, other than that, I think a bit of time in the sunshine is warranted today. Yes, do it. All right, love. Well, thank you very much yeah. for your time and your your wise research and uh, fabulous products that uh, are It's not fabulous. just me, you know. There is a whole team of people who do the work. <laughs> we'll say it's just you. <laughs> Big shout out to all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but lovely to chat to you both. Thanks right. for your time as well. Okay. Take lovely care. You go well. You, Steve. Yeah. Right. We'll be Back in touch. Thank you. Cheers for that. He's a great guy, Steve, isn't he? And, He's a uh, passionate gardener. He really is. Yeah, he walks the talk.
And uh, yeah, no, I think he's. I like the, his explanation behind the range of products that they do and the history behind them. Well, if our listeners do Google, you can Google Steve Falcioni Gardening Australia. Mm. His rooftop garden was featured. It I think was. last year. Yeah, it was. So and, uh, have a look at his handiwork. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, he's no slouch in the in the garden. Okay, nine four eight four one nine two seven. When we return, we're chatting to Karen in Mandurah. Curtain Radio. You're with Let's Talk Gardening straight to the lines. We're in Mandra. Karen, good morning. Hi, Karen. Good morning. Hello. How can we help you today, Karen? My gum tree has brown rots on the leaves. Mm. And is it on the new leaves or the old leaves? Both. Okay. Is there any sign of a pest? No, no. Are you able to send us a photo, Karen? Oh, no, I can't, can't do that. My okay. phone doesn't do that. All right. It, it could be something like a sawfly larvae or a leaf beetle that's eating it. Uh, it c- could be weather damage. If it's on all the leaves. No, no, it's only on part, partial, part, partly leaves. Okay. But it's a brown spot, did you say? It's like a webby brown. It's rotting the leaves, mm. but only certain leaves, not exactly the ones that are new or old, but both. Okay. And is it all over the tree? No, it's only on certain leaves. Like a part of the tree, like top or bottom, and how big is both, the tree? But the the tree's about fifteen foot. Okay. It's only a baby. Well. The, the good news is it's unlikely to inhibit the tree because they do have so many leaves. Um, yes. Getting Narrowing it down as to whether uh, there's, there's something happened to its roots that's showing up in its leaves or if it's a pest, that's another issue. But without having a look at the leaves, if there's sign of webbing, that does sound like um, something set up home there. Yeah. I would say maybe put put some leaves in a plastic bag and take them to your local garden centre. Yeah, get to a horticulturalist, Karen, if you can't send oh, us a photo yeah. and uh, see what they can diagnose. That's what yeah. I, we can recommend. There's nothing I can spray the leaves with, is there? Well, That's once it's there. diagnosed, yeah. Yeah, I see. All right, then. Yeah, do that. All right, thank you. And sorry we couldn't help more, but without sort of seeing it and understanding yeah. what's causing it. What sort of gum tree do you know? Um, no, green leaf gum tree. Okay. All right. All right, you love – take care, have a good day. Thank you. All right, thanks, Bye. Karen. Cheers for that. And we have in the studio John Benner-Savage. Good morning. Morning. Good morning, How Faye are and, you? Morning, Faye and Ray, and good morning to your <laughs> listeners. Yeah, I'm great. You're going Lovely well. to have you here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should be said that uh, Faye and John are neighbours as well. Mm. Good, good mates. And thank you very much for helping out Russell this week with his staghorn. So he rang in last week looking for someone to help uh, with a staghorn that was very special to him that had fallen off. And I said, well, here's John's number. Give him a call. He's the man to help you. And I was correct because it's all done. So, John, I want you to step us through what 
what what it was like, how big it was, and what you had to do, please. Well, Russell had actually done some homework beforehand. He had checked on Google and so forth and various websites and so forth, and um, he was actually able to make up a board already, so that took a lot of the, the homework out of it. And uh, But he was unsure about uh, how to mount it on back onto the board, mm. so um, he's... He uh, asked if he could bring it around to my place, so I said, "Yeah, that's fine." So uh, he did. He brought it around the following day, and uh, I took one look at it. And of course, it was far too large to go back on the on the board that he had made, because after this is about twenty five year old staghorn. Wow. So when they get to about that age, they can get rather large, and and the bulb comes out sometimes about half a meter. From you know, from the board, so it gets quite big. So, how large is large? Can you explain it in? Oh, it's probably almost uh, almost a meter across, I suppose. Meter across, when, yeah. almost a meter across, but then it's about five hundred about five hundred millimeters sort of depth deep. as well. So, what sort of board do you put it on? He's, he made it up into a good quality pine, pine not, yeah. not treated pine. But I would recommend that if anybody is making one you make it out of hardwood like an old jar or whatever like that that's probably best better mm-hmm. but the quality that he chose is, is was good quality anyway but um taking one look at it though um at the rear of it you could tell that the 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 because what happens is is that we've had so much rain this year and a lot of the uh, these plants, especially the staghorns and the elkhorns, they've fallen off trees or off their boards because they've, they end up with about 10 times their weight from the amount of rain that we've had yeah, this winter. Yeah, I can imagine. So they just slide off, of course. We've had a lot of inquiries regarding them. But um, anyway, we're t- taking one look at this, and it could, I could see that all that old growth from the back there was starting to deteriorate to the point where it's got gluggy. So I suggested to Russell that um, I get the bread knife out, the serrated bread knife, and we cut it in half. Cut when I say cut it in half, we cut the half of the from the from the where it normally would have been on the board. We cut it in half, and so we made it nice and flat, so it can go back onto the board. I put a little bit of sphagnum moss. So it's not as deep. Board. Not as deep. Uh, that's right. Instead of right. being instead of being about five hundred yeah, meters yeah. from the from the board out to the front. We reduced it by about half. Okay, so you just cut it. Just cut okay. it off, cut mm-hmm. it and make sure it was nice and straight. Mm. And then we put a little bit of sphagnum moss. Don't go overdoing the sphagnum moss because it, it retains a lot of moisture. So we put that on the board and then we put the, the stag horn back on the board. And um, I, I trimmed some of the foliage. I said it's going to look ugly for a while. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. but, And then, it had, then we had to get the um, some... I recommend that you use shade cloth strips about 25 millimetres wide roughly and do like a cross pattern to hold it onto the board and make sure, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. very, very firm. There's no movement of the staghorn, almost to the point where you put your kneel over it, kneel on it, just sort of make sure it's firm and fixed fixed to the board. Mm. And um, because of the size of this particular staghorn, I had to make a little nappy that, sort of at, at the base to sort of hold it in there to like support it. Like a sling. It. Like a sling, mm. yeah. So um, once you've done that, of course, it's going to look ugly for about 12 months, but in, eventually the new shields will grow over it and you won't even notice it. And the shade cloth will hold that that plant in place for many, many, many years to come. So 
So he was a happy chappy. So. Well, that's, yeah, it does sound, I mean, any advice that we would have given wouldn't have covered to the extent of what you had to do because of the age of it. Yeah, the age. And also it did need some, some work done to it. It needed to be trimmed. But the other thing I would recommend is that um, uh, make sure that you do not do any damage to that that growth point. The growth point, where yeah. It, where it actually grows from. Which uh, is down towards the base? No, this is in the centre, in the bulb, is that's where the new growth comes from. So luckily this had slid off the off the board and there was no damage to that, so that was good. So mm. Very interesting, but I personally wouldn't have known where to begin, so thank well, you. Well, next time we'll do a video, won't we, John? Uh, yes, after he had driven off, I thought, oh, we should have done that. Absolutely. Right. So if anyone's in a similar predicament, <laughs> yeah, um, people can... let's make a video. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, we'll be back in a moment. And we will be heading to the news shortly for 9am. And we're heading to Mandra in a moment as well. And I have coming up a $75 gift voucher to give away to Bigger Tree. So how would you like to go shopping with $75 bucks in your, oh, in your always. wallet? always. Yeah, always. Me too. <laughs> um, let me see. You'll need your Curtin FM membership number. Not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. So go and grab your membership card and get ready. We will be giving that away shortly. Okay, we're in Mandra. Maggie, good morning. Oh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, if there's any there. Yes, we've got John here. Oh, good, John. <laughs> now, look, I've got a bunch of, a big bunch of jonquils, and they're about, the, after the flowers are gone, you know, the, the stems are hanging everywhere and laying down on stuff I don't want it to lay on. Yes. Um, if I cut them down to about six inches off the ground so that they're not in the way of everything else, would that affect the flowering for next year? Or have I, I got to wait till it goes down? I believe so, Maggie. For best results, you, you need to leave them to die down. But what you could do is tie them in a knot so they're, they're in yeah. the best, tidiest position they can be without laying over everything. And they will die down in the next couple of weeks, especially now that oh. it's sort of drier and warmer, supposedly. Yeah, I was tempted to cut them and I thought I'd better find out first. Mm. Yes, you can, but it, it can affect the flowering because we know that the energy from those leaves needs to go back into the bulb. That's yeah. why we have to wait and why they're messy. Yeah, I thought mm. that, yeah. Sorry. Um, what if I just got a big tie and tied them all around in a big bunch and yep. something? Yep. Would I do, that be all right? Yes, that would be fine. Instead of actually knotting each one or each Yeah, bunch. yeah, yep. Oh, yeah, okay. I'll do that. Okay. Oh, thanks for your help, dear. You're Too welcome. easy. <laughs> Bye. No, thanks, Bye. Maggie. Bye. I am guilty of cutting jonquils down. Do they flower? Yes. As well. Yeah. Yes. So one yes, of the can't pretty, kill them. Yeah, they're 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 in that category, and uh, I'm I'm like Maggie. I just thought, oh, I can't take this any longer. Yeah. I know. Well, you know, maybe we need to put them in pots and bury mm. the pots in the ground, and when they look daggy, we just hoik them out and put them out. In the shade house where they can't be seen. Because they do multiply underground mm. quite rapidly, yes. There's a lot to be said for burying pots in the ground. Yeah. Bromeliad's one of those things that yes, do very well do in pots. really well. And yeah. you can pull them up, divide them and put them back again. Yeah, yeah, excellent idea. 
<laughs> how, okay. would you, how would you go in your garden, John, if you had everything in pots and you had to uproot it all to divide it up? Oh, I don't want to go there. No, <laughs> exactly. Not with your, your magnificent gardens. Now, I know we've got a few emails to get through. Uh, perhaps we can tackle one before the nine o'clock news. Okay. Well, I did want to mention this one that Margaret of Hilton sent in. It was some weeks ago. And John's been doing, John Glidden's been researching mm. uh, where the image came from. And, and he queries if it's been Photoshopped because it only appears on sites that are selling seeds. But what he has come up with is some other similar images of monkey orchids. Yeah. So there's a range of different flowers um, mm-hmm. that form and they appear to have little faces. Yeah. Like, like we were talking about the yeah. snapdragons, when the, their flower dies, what's left behind looks like a little skeleton's little, head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we see a lot of funny things on on um, the internet that are and Facebook Photoshop and so coloured roses and yes, yes, blue things yes, or black yes. things. Now, we've also received an email from Anne in Bedford and she was wondering if we can identify something that's popped up in the garden. And yes, Anne, it does appear to be a weed. I'm not sure if it might be the flea bane or something similar. It's over a metre tall by the look of it. And I would just say if you wanted to to wait until the flower opens, that will absolutely be the determining feature because from the photo, I actually can't tell. But once it flowers, that sort of joins the dots and we'll be able to give a better ID if you want to wait that long. Okay. And squeeze in. Oh, actually, no. I think we'll just head to the news. Okay. Bear with me. It's nine o'clock. Partly cloudy today, heading for a maximum of 23. Right now, it's 16.9 degrees. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a maximum of 25. And on Monday, mostly sunny with a maximum of 28. So some really nice weather finally coming our way. Yes, everyone's quite excited about that, aren't they? Great gardening weather. It really is. So let's head to Menorah. Diana, good morning. Oh, good morning. I've just got a question. Can I grow a tree fern in a reasonably sized pot? Uh, yes, you can do. Um, the only thing is that it's going to be continually uh, requiring repotting because it, they are fairly fast growing and they have right. a fairly fibrous root system. So, um, yeah, they're going to need repotting sort of almost like on a yearly basis to the next size pot, to the next size pot, to the next size pot. And ultimately, you're probably going to have to make that decision of, you know, it's going to get too big. Uh, Is it a large plant that you've got? No, I've got one in the ground and Mm -hmm. it's growing beautifully. Mm -hmm. I've just moved into a villa and uh, in a retirement village and... um, I love tree ferns. I think they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll put one out the front in a pot. Mm-hmm. But if I've got to repot all the time, it's just too hard. Yeah. Diana, do you know what? Since we moved into our property in, in Jandcott, I realised that some of my friends in suburban gardens have tree ferns that outgrow their space. So they happily move their tree ferns on to me over the years. Yeah. And then you can replace them because, like John said, they're quite fast growing. So you you could always grow one but then give it away or sell it when it gets too big and replace it with another one. 
well, that's an idea. Actually, sometimes they're very hard to get. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, John, you can. Uh, yeah, they can be. Uh, there is another one that I'd recommend, but they're hard to find, and we don't. I don't think we would have any for sale at the moment. But uh, there is one called Dicksonia Antarctica, which is uh, much slower growing, and um, occasionally the big green shed has them in. They come in only once a year, I think they come in, and you can buy them in a in a like a half meter or a meter length the trunks. Oh and, gosh. and they're very slow growing, so they take many, many years, and they they are perfect for growing in a pot. And mm. if they get too tall, you just chop them in half and and replant them again. But you only do it to that particular species. You wouldn't do it to the <laughs> normal one because you're going to be killing the plant otherwise. Yes, of course. And what was this one called again? Dixonia antarctica. It's the Thank one that you. grows in uh, New South and Queen Victoria, and it comes from Tasmania as well. They are licensed; they get them from the wild, which they're licensed to do when they're doing clearing or whatever. Right. And they normally have a tag on them when you buy them to say that they are being, they've been. And I'd only be able. Would I be able to get it from? Um, how am I allowed to say Bunnings or Banana or something like someone like that? You may be able to. There's also I know I don't think we can mention. Can we mention nurseries? A range of them? Is no, there... no, that particular... I, I do know that there's a nursery out at Beachborough that has them. Beachborough? Oh, Coastal <laughs> Road. That's Coast okay, Road yeah. Coast, Coast Road yeah. Palms, I yeah. believe they Coast had. Road. They oh. have some out there or did have some out there, so you could try them. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank it's lots, lots still are growing and um, it's a more a shade lover one and uh, mm-hmm. so it yeah it'll probably be the most suitable for you because it'll last mm-hmm. it'll be quite heavy in a pot for another 20 or 30 years oh good I can hand it on to the kids <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh, I wish my kids would grow thought, them thought like hand that. them on to me <laughs> what I'd grow everything for my kids <laughs> oh, lovely <laughs> Diana Thank you so much for your help Thank okay you. not a problem cheers bye bye and we're heading to Warwick. We're talking about a mulberry tree. Good morning, Rosemary. How are you? Good. Not too bad. Good morning to everybody on the on the chairs this morning. Hello, Rosemary. Yeah. Hello. Um, look, I've got uh, a mulberry that's been in fruit, I suppose, uh, for the last what two or three years. It's only a smallish one. It's um, standard, been made a standard. The fruit. There's loads of very tiny mulberries on them. Some have already ripened. The minute I go to try to um, touch them, even they just drop. Uh, even the even the uh, the red ones. What? And I've been feeding it in the last probably since since I uh, or probably about September was when they started to fruit. Um, so I started to do uh, liquid feeds every two weeks from that point. Is there anything else that I can do? Um, should I sort of start taking off as many of the, the smaller fruits? Because like one little section, you might have five or six uh, in one hit. How big is the tree, Rosemary? Uh, it's probably about, because it's only a, um, a, a dwarf one apparently, um, it's a, it'd be about 160 um, centimetre. Okay, so it's not terribly big. I think with no. mulberries, the the main thing is, particularly now, is keeping the water up to them, because oh, yeah, well, they have plenty of water because <laughs> it's yeah, it's been in the open, yeah. No, and I, but I have 
but I mean plenty of water. Like yeah. because they produce copious amounts of fruit, yeah. they need um, lots of lots of water. So it sounds like you've been giving it feed. Um, yeah, and it's only young. Um, what size are the leaves? Are they good sized leaves or? Yeah, they're good sized leaves. Yeah, uh, and I did a, and I have um, contacted uh, last year. When was the best time to to prune it and so forth? Um, and because it's a standard, it's just so clumped together at the top. So last um, end of the last season uh, last year, I really um, cut right back, and I thought, gee, I hope I haven't killed the thing. But it's just prolific in in the in the, in the amount of leaves. Um, they're beautifully drooping and all this sort of thing. It's a beautiful tree to, to actually see. Um, you know, being smallish and it's only meant to be smallish, but it's just the fact that you know, it, and I've and I've got to sort of duck underneath it to try and find the um, the, the, the ripe fruits underneath as well. So yeah, it's just a, a shame because as soon as they drop. That's it. I've lost them because I'm semi-blind. So mm. that's a pain. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as harvesting goes, if you actually put a, a sheet underneath and shake the tree, you then get to keep keep the fruit. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that, but then because the the red ones are so um, touchy as well, I'd lose all them as well. I don't know why they'd they'd be dropping like that, and I don't yeah, know that there's anything that you can actually do about it. it sounds like yeah. the tree is producing plenty of fruit. It yeah. will sort of only hang on to the ones that it can, you know, grow on. And I think yeah. water is still a thing because although we've had rains this week, you know, though I just know those mulberries take a lot. A, a lot of water to produce their fruit, and maybe it's still yeah. a young tree, and it just hasn't got that network to support it all. Yeah, I have been watering. I have been putting the sprinkler there, like for fifteen minutes, uh, about once every two weeks or so forth. Um, even even though we've had all that heavy rain during well, the winter, and I, I yeah. tell you what, Rosemary, we'll get John to look up and see if we can get any figures because a fifteen minute sprinkler. Yep. Fortnightly is not a lot of water to no, a fruiting okay. tree, mm. not right, you know, not a not at all. So, yeah. what you think is a lot of water, and what I think mm. is enough water yeah. for this mulberry tree, might be two different things. Yeah. All, all right, right. we'll come back to that, yeah. Rosemary. No worries, I'll keep listening. Okay. Thank you. Cheers for that. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. And let's go to Wanneroo. We're talking about grass seeds. Paul, good morning. Oh, good morning. I've just got a question about a packet of pooch grass seed. Um, I see on the packet they shand you with rye grass for some reason. Could you tell me why they do that and will the cooch take over from the rye? I th- I'm pretty sure that rye grass does well in like an opposite season to cooch <clears throat> and will give you good good coverage. Um like what? What is the label on the packet? What What's it designed to do? Like restore a section of grass, or to seed a whole new lawn area, or you know, what's the the marketing of this packet? Uh, basically, to rejuvenate a grass area. Okay, so so from that, I'm thinking what that box of seed will do 
is give you germination in an area to cover a, a bare patch and that's why they've used two different grass seeds because I think rye is complementary to cooch but it will take over when the cooch is not growing prolifically. Like maybe the best season for, for a rye grass is winter and it will give you green in the winter where a cooch may, have, may not be growing at that time. But I might look at this a bit further for you, Paul, but I'm pretty sure that's the reason. Okay, and do you think the ryegrass will keep coming back? I I think it'll stay there and sort of make itself shown in different seasons. Like I've got an area that gets too shady, so I've actually put dichondra into it to work with the cooch. And when the cooch is not looking too flash, the dichondra just makes everything look green. So that's how I manage uh, a shady area. Okay, thanks very much. You're welcome, Paul. Cheers Bye. for that. All right, and Carol from Subi Akko won a bigger tree voucher in June, and she's just picked up her dwarf persimmon, which Kerry ordered in especially for her, and she's in love with her purchase. I bet you are, Carol. <laughs> yes, okay, Sounds so let, let's let's do it. $75 gift voucher up for grabs from Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. Compliments of Kerry Spriggs, of course. Not to have won a prize in the last 28 days, and I know you've got your membership number ready. All right. The question, an easy one. Camellia sinensis is grown mainly for the production of what? Camellia sinensis is grown mainly for the production of what? Give Bev a call. 94841927. Whilst that's happening, we're heading to Hillary. Cecilia, good morning. Good morning. How's everybody today? Well, Very good, Cecilia. Oh, what a beautiful gardening weather day, huh? Yes, I reckon. Yeah, good. <laughs> okay, question about my mulberry tree too, please. It has been fruiting beautifully. It's supposed to be a dwarf, but it's going crazy. Now, it's finished fruiting, and we've had a, oh, a bumper crop. Now, can I prune it back now or do I have to wait? You can prune it now. Often after flowering and fruiting is the best time to prune a tree. But you can also prune it when it's dormant, when it's lost all its leaves. So, yeah, now's a good time to just, you know, um, cut it back to shape, particularly if it's in an area that you only want it to get a certain size, just cut it back. Right. Oh, okay. I won't hurt it if I cut it back now. You can't hurt a mulberry tree. (laughs) (laughs) Easier said than done. I normally kill everything. But all of a sudden this year, all my plants love me. Well, that's a good thing. They love the rain too, Mm. Cecilia. Good. Oh, thank you so much and continue to have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we do have a winner for our gift voucher. We do have a winner, guys. So, uh, yes, it was not a difficult question. I'll give the details of that shortly. And the answer as well. Okay, carry on. I know you've got more emails. I do have emails. And I think we should just do a rundown on what's on this weekend, Ray. Yes. Um, So one of the things that's on tomorrow is the Camera Workshop Camera Club are having a photo market so Sunday November the 7th it starts at 8.30 and goes to 11.30 if you want the bargains get there at 8.30 so what is a photo market? They, the members of the camera club have bought stalls or tables right. and they get to sell gear 
So members of the public are invited in to pick up bargains, okay. you know, because... It's like have, a little fair or something. Well, well, it is. it, And yeah. it's uh, photography equipment sale day. So that's on starting tomorrow at 8.30. It goes to 11.30. It's at the South Perth Community Hall, corner of South Terrace and Sandgate Street. So, you know, members who've bought new cameras, they've still got second-hand cameras that are working and well-priced, they just need to clear them. And this would be great for people who are interested in learning to take photographs of their garden and their flowers. Well, you you get mm. to go along and speak to the photographers Mm. that are doing that and and have got gear to sell so you can find out what's the best camera for for Mm. starters or, Mm. you know, there's lenses and there's filters and there's tripods and uh, flashes and... All, all sorts of gear on offer. Okay. So, okay. And I think it'll be a bumper one because COVID sort of stopped things in its track and a lot of people have invested more in their photography equipment over time, so it should okay. be a bumper sale. Okay. Hmm. Are you going along? Uh, I I won't be. I have other plans for tomorrow. Perth mm. Garden Club have got their meeting tomorrow afternoon. Is that tomorrow at, afternoon? At, well, it's come up quick. It's a special event and that's up at Mundaring and that is an amazing garden if you're members of the Garden Club or mm-hmm. if you're interested in joining. And the Fern Society meeting is on tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock at the Manning Senior Citizens Centre. Centre corner of Lay and Downey Streets in Manning and John will be giving a talk called The President's Choice and there will be plants for sale and people can come along, bring a plate to share, afternoon tea afterwards. That goes till usually about 4, 4.30. Thereabouts, yes. We start at 2.15 but we're usually there around about 1.30 we start setting up. Hmm. Okay, and not visit- to mention, vi- sorry, carry on. Sorry, visitors are most welcome too. Yeah, that's that's the important thing. People mm. can come along and get a, get a bit of an idea of what goes on at your meetings. Yep, that's and, right. And uh, then if they want to become a member, mm. hey-ho. Yep. And also, what else have we got? The open gardens, we've got the Melville Rose Garden that's open this on weekend. today and tomorrow, uh, 10 to 4, Mottram Street in Carmel. And that is a large acreage garden. We spoke to Bob Melville last week and... Yes, roses, his favourite roses, hedges, uh, there's a water feature, lots of lawn, enough to hold a concert or even a garden festival, Bob tells us. So I'll certainly be getting up there today. And of course, Melville's Garden Nursery is next door and they've got lovely gardens to look at, seeing roses in situ and plants for sale. And is there anything else on this weekend, Ray? Uh, you've got another garden mentioned here. Is that this weekend uh, in support of the Kids Cancer Support Group? Yes, that's another one open today. Yeah, whereabouts is that one? Is the address on there? No, that's oh. why. That's why I'm oh. handballing it to you. <coughs> okay. okay, Jude Scott's garden. Um, all right, I'll get the address of that. All right. But Kids Cancer Support Group. So yeah. more information is available by going to kcsg.org.au. Quirky sculptures, shady seating, uh, niches, see the gap and fillet type garden. Yeah, so let's get the address. And an art studio. So 6th and 7th of November. And they've been opening this garden for a number of years for this cause. Okay, excellent. We'll be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. 
24 minutes after nine, you're tuned in to Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Faye and our special guest in the studio, John Batter-Savage, president of the WA Fern Society. Our winner for the $75 gift voucher of Bigger Trees is Caroline. Well done, Caroline. And the voucher will be in the mail to you this week. Now, my question was, Camellia sinensis is grown mainly for the production of what? And the answer is tea. So thanks, everyone, for playing with us. And we will have another voucher to give away to you next Saturday. Now, Ray, John's been busy out there. He's come back. He's always busy. He's identified, he thinks he's identified this weed as flax. The weed that was in the garden that we just talked about. So it's possible and it looks like it will have a blue flower. So I would just leave it and wait for the flower just to be able to confirm what it is. He's also come in and said, well, for all the people growing mulberries, just be grateful that you don't live in Tucson, Arizona, because they have banned the planting of mulberry trees. Why? Citing that the amount of pollen produced by these trees was harmful for humans. (laughs) What? Really? <laughs> Only in America, I'd Only say. Only in America, quite right, quite right. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. Now, the address of the garden open today and tomorrow for the Kids Cancer Support Group is artist Jude Scott, and she has an art studio as well, 2,000 square metres A to Z from Aquilegias to Zygos, and that is at 6 Sparta Lane in Canningvale today and tomorrow. Fantastic. Always lots on. Now, can I just go to another couple of emails? Sure. Colin Jones sent in a photo. I wasn't sure what it was. It looked like a a succulent of some type to me. But John has agreed with Ray that it does look like a bromeliad and possibly a Vresia species. So very interesting. Lovely anyway. Now, another email's come in today and there's a photo. This may have been in the same email as the the weed photo. I'm not sure. But it's a palm that's right next to a brick wall, clearly too close. The pine has lots of spines. It's a common cotton palm. Yeah. Not at all desirable in anybody's book, no. and I I wouldn't consider moving it. Well, I would. I'd relocate it to the rubbish tip. Yeah, it's just there. There are far better palms. Well, the question was from the person was wanting wanting to know if they could put it in a pot. It's going to outlive that pot very quickly. It really needs to be out in the open somewhere in the garden if you're going to get it. It's not called Washingtonia robusta for no reason. It is very robust and it's very fast growing and they get enormous. So I think, uh, yeah, it has to be planted in the garden or uh, disposed of. Mm. And next weekend is the the combined Parman Society Fair along with the Fern Society and there will be palms for sale there, but as well a show of palms, cycads and ferns on display for people to look at. There's so much going on. Mm. I hope people have got sitting by the radio with their pencil and paper. My goodness, it's hard to keep up. All right, drum roll. Acadia Waters Bicton, known for its rich history and welcoming community, is hosting a fun-filled open day on Friday the 19th of November. Explore a colourful array of stalls, enjoy, enjoy a scrumptious morning tea, win some prizes and, if you wish, take a guided tour of their charming retirement homes. Save the date. 
Friday the 19th of November, 10am to 2pm at station sponsor Acadia Waters Bicton, 153 Stock Road, Bicton. And another email that came in, Ray, I love this one. It's from Diane and she said, I turned my jonquils into Cousin It and she plattered her big bunch of jonquils and they just look gorgeous. They really do. Yeah, You've there's got about too much time on your hands, ten, Di, but we love it. plaits there <laughs> spilling out, just, just gorgeous. It's a great idea and it just probably, it's a little quirky, but it's it's what you can do just to make things a little tidier yep, whilst we wait sure. and wait and wait. Perfect, thank you. Now, Patricia had sent us in a an email about eradicating tiny black bugs in her house, which, of course, were the fungus gnats that we talked about with Steve Falcioni first thing this morning. So if you did, in fact, miss that, Patricia, I suggest you get onto the podcast and listen to all about fungus gnats at the beginning of the show. Helen has sent an email, one of my favourite subjects, fungi, and she has got this starfish stink horn that's popped up in her garden in Albany. And I have written back to her and and explained that this type of fungi, by the time they fruit, uh, is is only 5% of what you see. Most of fungi is under under the ground. It's mycelium, a network of fungal threads that travel under the ground. She wanted to know if she could get rid of it. Now, we've talked before about uh, products or treatments in the garden that affect fungi and copper sprays are one of them the problem i mean i just think she's so lucky to have this because they provide a very good role in our ecosystem they they break down material and this is uh, in amongst wood chips so that's quite likely what it's doing they do have a role i wouldn't be getting rid of it but we do know that fungicides and or copper sprays will not be liked by this Problem is, you you don't know how far these fungal threads are going mm. as to where to target it. I would encourage that it's left yeah. alone and yeah. admire, and it will die down as the weather dries out. Sure. We've we've just had a, such a bumper fungi season. Did you want to go to something else, Ray? Or okay, I... Vera of Dianella has called in and she's asking if you can please advise the companion plant. For geraniums in hanging baskets, you mentioned earlier, she missed it. I was talking about lobelia, and they're just Mm. looking stunning. They're they're great fillers. They Mm. fill the gap. They add an extra little bit of colour, and I've got mine with the ivy geraniums. So I've got pinks and apricots, and then the lobelia are uh, lavender and white and pink. At Lovely. The moment, but I think I'll get more and I think I'll <laughs> value add them because they well, just Well, you can look grow gorgeous. the lobelia for longer if it's kept in a more shaded environment. Well, they are. They yeah. get the morning sun. They're on mm, the they're edge of that. the veranda yeah. and the roses are towering up in front of them. So yes. it's just layers and layers of colour. Fantastic. Okay. Free lines, 94841927. Special guest in the studio with us, John Benesavage, President of the Fern Society of WA. If you have any fern psychoed questions, palm questions, we have the specials in the studio with us right now. Now, one thing I know that John's been up to recently and he gave a talk at one of the latest Fern Society meetings and that's terrariums. Yeah, how interesting. Yeah, something that um, is maybe a trend that's coming back, do you think, John? Well, there has been a trend of recent times, and I thought uh, 
surely there has to be some ferns that we can grow in terrariums. So uh, there is some miniature ferns out there, not many, but uh, some that are just, just perfect for terrariums. Um, mainly the ones called Selaginellus. They're the little, like a mossy type ferns, and they're just fantastic for that environment because they like a bit of humidity, so you can create that in a, in a terrarium. So, yeah, terrariums can be just fish tanks as well, old fish tanks that are no longer used. So, I mean, that, the, the sizes can vary enormously from, from the tiny little bowl-type things to to something of quite a few metres in size. So so what's the principle or, or rules behind uh, setting up a terrarium? Well, it's new to me as well, Faye. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not but, throwing you in the but, deep end. But, but basically, <laughs> um, because you don't have any drainage in them. No. So, so no. you have to I, – I, I, I had done this as an experiment so for one of our meetings. So I had put a layer of charcoal on the bottom of the floor of the, of the uh, terrarium. Charcoal, yeah. Charcoal. So just to sort of make sure it doesn't go sour, the soil. And then I made a mixture of uh, river sand, good quality potting mix, a little bit of peat, and um, just put that in, layered it in. And then I found a piece of driftwood, which was fantastic, and was able to put that in there. And then I had about four or five miniature ferns of various textures and so forth. Some of the ones that are little runners and some clump. And so what, what varieties did you find for that? Uh, some of these you're not going to find in a, no, that's in a normal right. nursery, though, yeah. unfortunately. But there's a there's a couple of little tiny little splenniums, and then there's uh, the selaginellas. Then there's a couple of a, uh, other. Um, there's one called the necklace fern as well, which is a very very tiny one. Um, that's just trying to think now. But you don't have to restrict it to ferns, of course. You could add other plants to it as well. But they'd have to be small growing type plants. And reasonably low light? Low, low. I mean, no, they need quite bright light. Um, but you, ideal on a patio or or a bright lit inside a house would be perfect. And what about a lid? Um, so what happens with the humidity? So do you spray it or do you... I use a, a little spray, just a very okay. light spray. But I find that if I put the lid on, it can get quite humid in there yes. and before you know it, it's all fogged up. So <laughs> Can't see I, anything. <laughs> no, no. Well, that's probably ideal for very tropical plants because they would love that sort of situation. But um, generally, I, I, I sort of have the lid partly open so there's a bit of air movement going on so but i'm experimenting so um, so far the plants are looking fantastic so but um yeah it, it's it's something t i mean you can even use big glass jars as well like your bottling jars and things like that to make a miniature garden um so there's there's no limit oh sounds exciting <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's head out to Alfred Cove. Yvonne, good morning. Yeah, good morning, ladies. How are you? Good, well, thanks, Yvonne. thank you. Good. Um, well, I call it the crown of thorns, but I suppose botanically it's got a different name. Um, it's uh, a succulent and it's got massive thorns all the way up the stem and then it's got your flat leaves and your... We know it. Yep, yep. You yeah, know it. Um, now, mine's gone absolutely just straggly it's just got nothing but long stems with the flowers and the the leaf at the end can i prune that and repot it like the ends john's nodding 
John, do you want to answer this one? Yes, I've got a number of these. Um, at this time of the year, they've, they're probably looking a bit tired because of the winter. Uh, yep. They don't like to have wet feet. So, But yes. it won't be long. Once we get the warm weather, they'll start reshooting again with the new foliage or the flowers. But if you're going to, if you want to prune them, then um, I'll take a cutting and let them dry out for quite a few weeks before you repot them again. You can probably right. even dip the dip the the wound part in a bit of um, uh, fungicide or um, a bit of sulphur, yes. um, and just let them dry out. I I recommend three four weeks or thereabouts, and then put them in a potting mix that's free very free draining with a bit of river sand in there or coarse sand. Okay. And, and, now, mm. um, when I cut the. Uh, the top part off, which has got the leaf and the flower, to to restrike that. Can I get cuttings or strikings from? Uh, will the bottom part of the plant, once I'm doing that, reshoot into, or will have I kind of lost that part of the plant because they're just they're so long. They're just there's nothing but thorns all the way up the stem. If I can, I cut those into sections and and pop those up and get a few more plants out of it or? Yes, it should be should be okay to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. But I'll put, so I'll I put, the, yeah. And they'll be the a bit the, they'll be a bit sappy, so um the the, the oh. white sap that comes off there, be careful about not getting that onto you. Or uh, right. or wipe so your eyes with it or whatever. But yeah, um I would I recommend that you use some some mancozeb or um some sulfur on there just on the wounds to sort of help it. Yes. Mm. All right, but, so and, and put it in a dry spot if you can. If it's in a pot, put it in a dry place for a little while while all that's happening, rather oh, okay. than allowing the you know the rains or whatever get onto it. Mm. Okay, all right. So once they're pruned, they don't like water until uh, they've yeah. dried out for yeah, a few weeks. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And the actual plant itself, once it's been cut back, the actual base plant, the original plant, yeah. that should start to just should, regenerate. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've oh. mine have reshot, so that should be okay. So with the plant, do I, once I've pruned it, do I need to take the actual plant that's in a pot and put that in a dry area because those tops will be exposed, won't yeah, they? Yeah, I recommend that you can, if you can do that, that would be ideal. Fantastic. All yeah. right, because it's a beautiful bush and I'll plant. I didn't want to lose it and it'd be nice to get some more babies out of it. So yeah. Yeah. Um, they, thank you very much. They do, they do very well in the garden too, by the way, if you find a nice sunny spot somewhere sort of... Yeah, they do really well. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, fabulous. I've got mm. a few blank spots, so <laughs> once I've uh, got them going, I'll pop them in. Put some of your you. cuttings in there, yeah. Good luck with that, Yvonne. Oh, well, thanks indeed very okay. much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye for now. Let's go to Dianella and say hello to Joan. Good morning. Good morning, girls, hello. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I've got a magnolia, and it's, you know, rather... I'm in a unit and I've got just two small gardens at the, each side of my path and I have it in my left garden, which is bigger than the other one, but I've had it for about five years. It's been flowering beautifully and then this last uh, year since we had all that rain, it's not looking good. It seems as though it's got some sort of a disease. The leaves are dropping off and I haven't had any flowers at all. They're not, you know, there's nothing forming. Do you know what variety of magnolia it is, Joan? Um, no, I can't remember now. 
because it's about five or six years ago since I got it. Um, it's not a very big leaf. It's a small leaf one. Okay. Um, I I wouldn't be too concerned just yet. We had a call mm. about a magnolia last weekend as well. Mm. I suspect uh-huh. it, they're coming out of their their winter sulking, and I suspect yes. that in the coming weeks you'll you'll get some new growth on it. Oh, but, okay, yes, because but, we we had all that rain, and that particular garden at that side ended up being a bit of a quagmire. Oh, yeah, not draining very well. Okay, well, so would that affect us? Yes, very much so. so yes, yes, so, I wondered that. Soggy wet feet is is not a a good. Thing for, for a lot plants, of lot yeah. of plants, but mm. particularly a yeah. magnolia, it yes. it hopefully will come out of it. I think it's just a case of just watching and see what watching happens. Yeah. Uh, if we okay. get a similar wet wet year next year, you know, maybe you have to investigate why it's not draining. What yes. what is actually going on long term? Yes. yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Watch and see. Okay. Thanks for your help. All right, Jane. Thanks, Joan. And would yeah. it be appropriate to give it some food at this stage? Well, I I would wait a little, little bit. bit. I mean, from what Jones told us, mm. it probably is a result of of Too wet feet, water. and mm. the roots are not going to be happy. So I wouldn't yeah. be adding, Add, adding anything. Salt injury, exactly. Yeah, understood. Okay, yeah. we'll be back in a moment. We're chatting with Diane and Olga. Thank you for your company this morning. Busy garden show as always. Let me see. We're going to Como saying hello to Diane, talking about your liquid amber tree, Diane. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, I have a liquid amber tree in my back. Mm, Well, (laughs) I'm not sure what to suggest here, Diane. It it sounds like it's not exactly in the right place, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, it's on a corner. It overhangs my place and the two neighbours. They're beautiful trees, but they will get very big. Mm. It's never going to get any cheaper to have branches lopped if it is in the wrong place. Mm. I, you know, consider that. Consider if you think that it's a value where it is. If Mm. If you decide it's not... It will never be any cheaper to get it cut down than right now. No. You know, like you just can never make it right if it's in the wrong no. place. I don't know that it's dying. It might be. Do you think it's dying? Well, that, that's, that's another consideration. If mm. you really need to get someone to look at it that knows, but yeah. my advice would be to get three quotes. Three quotes. Yeah, yeah. That way you can tell whether you're being quoted fairly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So get a recommendation Uh, from a friend or neighbour or someone who's doing work in the local area. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have a local paper so I could choose someone out of that. Yeah, if they still advertise in the local paper, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. If not, um, give us a call back. I I know someone who... I know, yeah, someone who could look after you. Oh, thank you. Um, is that the number I ca- can contact you on, the one I rang you on? It, yes, and if you Bev, don't... Isn't it? Sorry? It's Bev? Oh, yep, yep, you can talk to Bev. Okay. 
and just get a quote from someone or ring you. Well, get try and get three quotes from your paper or local area or, or one of your neighbours. Mm-hmm. If yes. that doesn't work, if you need my help, call us again and I'll, I'll put okay. you in touch with someone. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks, Diane. You take care. Thanks a lot. Cheers Thanks. for that. Bye-bye. Now, let's head to Westminster. Olga, good morning. Morning. Good morning. Is it? Are you talking to Olga? Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's happened now, love, is uh, I've got my two gardenia trees, and both of them are not doing well. The leaves are all gone yellow and dropping off, so I was wondering what I've done wrong. <laughs> They they could be unhappy because of the weather, and mm. a lot of plants will, will their leaves will turn yellow and they'll fall off. That will be the older ones. Check okay. your check your new growth. If the new growth is looking healthy, um, then you don't have to worry too much. I always recommend a controlled release fertilizer, and mm-hmm. now is a great time to apply it. Okay. If the leaves are yellow, it could be a sign that the plant is hungry. And, okay. and a controlled release fertilizer with water and warm weather will will see that come good. Okay. And do they lack the sun? Because I've got it in full sun too. Some will actually cope Tolerate well with full sun if they have enough moisture. So okay. It's very often a balancing act. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay then, love. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome, yeah. Olga. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Bye. And we're off to Dianella talking about kiwi berries. Barbara, how are you? Hi, Faye and Ray. It's not always that I have the luxury of listening to your whole program, but this morning I've been prepping heaps of dried fruit for my Christmas cake. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yes. Um, look, I've got a gorgeous vine of kiwi berry, first time ever. Actually, I, I won it when I went up to the Kalamunda Gardening Show. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think it was last year. Anyway, what can I feed it with? It's just started to produce little oval-shaped berries. Ooh. Oh, we, we had a good chat about these with Chris Oliver some months ago. Um, if, you, if you were to uh, go back through our programs... You could read all about the or hear all about the kiwi berries. Um, okay, how, do, how do I do that, Faye? Uh, go to the Curtin website. Yes. Go to programs. Yes. Click on the drop down bar and you'll get Let's Talk Gardening. Right. And there's over 50 podcasts there. But we need to pinpoint the podcast. Yeah, but mm. it, John does put up. Um, the dates and Chris Oliver. So um, we need to find out when we last had him on to short circuit yeah, things for you, yeah, Barbara. Maybe yeah. John, John, you're out there listening. Have have a look at the running sheets for Chris Oliver because mm. we did talk about kiwi berries in depth. Um, oh, but but basically, with any fruiting plants, mm. um, a combination of compost. Composting clay, mulch, uh, you know, some people like to use manures. There's organic fertilisers like Rooster Booster, Dynamic Lifter, Controlled Release Fertiliser. And now is a great time to be applying all these things. Even a a seaweed drink. And in order to keep fruit, 
potassium is very important. So, so in, in front of me, I've got prunings, all-purpose plant food, organic enriched, NPK okay. boosted. Would that work? A little bit of that. If that's a granular rather than a controlled or slow release, then no, you, it's what? Powdered. It's um, like loose powder. And is it one that you put into a watering can? No, I think you just sprinkle this one. Okay. Use it sparingly yeah. and put it kind of around the drip zone and water before and water after. Okay? okay. So just okay. use a little bit. And, you know, for, for everyone who's got gardens and fruiting plants and wants to know what to do, first thing is to do, look in your garden shed. It's no good me, you know, recommending all these different things if you've got a pile of stuff in your shed that is suitable. Yeah. So, you know, there's use a bit of variety. Use a little okay. bit of what you've got. But add, add some potassium to it. Uh, that might be in another product as well. If it's got MPK, it will have potassium in it. Wonderful. Great. Right. Thank you. You're welcome, Barbara. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Okay. Cheers for that. Bye. Okay. We'll be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. About eight minutes of the program left to go, Faye. And I would quickly like to make note that in their first year, kiwi berries can be susceptible to fertiliser burn. So where we were just talking about a, a Brunnings powdered fertiliser, um, you know, this is why I nearly always say a controlled or slow-release fertiliser because there is less chance of fertiliser burning the roots. Mm, so okay. mm, Absolutely. there we go. All right. We're in Thornley. Susan, good morning. morning oh, hi, Susan. how are you going? Yeah, good, good. thank you. That's good. Hey, listen, I've got a um, long driveway. It's about 30 metres and I've planted in some Screenmaster Pittosauriums. Yes. Um, they're, they're about a metre high. They're growing really well. I can see their new leaves coming through. But I want to, you know, keep them into like a hedge because I want them to grow up the fence. So I just wanted to know, when do I prune them and do I like just tip prune them at the moment? Or Yes, regularly. Know. The first, um, well, ideally when you plant a hedge, you, you virtually start Ooh. trimming straight away. Depending on okay. how fast they're growing, uh, yes. you can do it regularly. I would get myself Ooh. a battery-operated hedge trimmer and... Okay. and not sure how fast they grow. I've got a bay hedge and I probably do it two or three times a year. It could certainly be okay. done more. Yep. And is there any particular time of the year that, that needs to be done or? Uh, when when they're growing. So yeah. not so much so winter time. Yeah. You could have a yeah. break, but yeah. but when they're growing. Because they're what growing. you don't want is to have this rampant growth and then you cut it back and then it's playing catch up all the time. Whereas if you're just yeah. trimming the tips and, you know, I don't know if you want to let it get bigger, um, don't let it get too big yeah. because then you can't trim the tops of it. Yeah, yeah, cool. And what about fertiliser, a slow release or something a bit more? I do like slow releases. It's, it's yeah, gentler cool. on the plants and you can get ones for three, six and nine months. So any any of those. Okay, so three times here. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. The screen okay, Screen Master Pittosporums are a lovely, lovely hedge. 
Okay, today's show is sponsored by Soil Solver, Landscape Industries Association Product of the Year. The answer lies in the soil. And so it does. And you've got something else you'd like oh, to finish just two off more with? Yeah, emails go, go, I'd go. like to quickly go through. Sue has sent us a photo of a plant that's come up in the spring garden and she wants to know what it is. I I think uh, it is the blackberry nightshade, which produces flowers followed by berries. It's often misidentified as deadly nightshade, but we don't have that in Western Australia. Uh, the blackberries are edible, but I'm not going to say go out and eat the blackberries in your garden if you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sandra has sent us an email. Pyrus caloriana, two years old as a street tree, was planted in March, April, only has a few leaves where others in the street that were in situ for at least one to two years are fully leafed. Is there anything I can do to curry, encourage it to leaf up? Uh, there is one other tree that was planted in June that has not leafed up. And Sandra, I would just say that's, you know, an interesting observation. Trees will do things at their own pace. And I think it's all about the root system, the temperatures that they're exposed to. Mm. And there is no right or wrong. I, if it's not showing signs of new leaf, then feeding it won't help. won't help much because it's not actually growing and its roots are just slower Mm. probably due to its smaller root system so time will tell all right and we're in port kennedy megs good morning good morning how are you we're well thank you good that's great i'm really up to inquire about a mango tree i i had one and it grew to be quite tall and lanky and i didn't know what to do with it and i there was lots of leaves on the top but none down the bottom ah you could Okay, With sorry. Shaking hands, I actually clipped it back really harsh. It now has shoots everywhere on it. Um, I'm just wondering how long it's going to go to produce fruit. <laughs> oh, the magic question. <laughs> how long is a piece of string? Well, it, it probably won't flower this year uh, because right. mangoes are flowering now. So yes. maybe next year. Okay. So look after it. Okay. And next question for you. I have planted about six seeds. I've um, taken them out of their casings and I've, I've just planted the seeds laying flat in the garden because I did watch a video on it. Uh, do you think that they will take? Yes, I do. And next weekend we will be joined in the studio by Chris Oliver. So we can talk about this then. Okay, great. All right. Thanks okay. for your call. I go out and talk to them every day. Oh, good, good on girl. You, <laughs> <laughs> Lady after our own heart. Take care. Yes. Okay. Thanks che- very much. Cheers Bye. for your call. Bye for now. Okay. To wrap up. Uh, yes. Just a reminder that next weekend, John. Oh, next weekend is the combined uh, Fern Society and Palmer Psychiatric Society's annual plant sale, which is going to be on uh, Saturday and Sunday of next week. Nine uh, to three. Nine to nine to four on Saturday. Oh, nine okay. to three yep. on su- Sunday at the Manning Community Centre, corner of Bradshaw Crescent and Jarman Avenue in Manning. It's just off Welvin Avenue, just behind the shopping centre there. And underground parking available, and it's free entry. And we have lots of plants for sale, and they'll be rare, common, and unusual. So we like that. Love to see you there.
Love it. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you, John, for coming in Thank you. today and, you and sharing me. your knowledge as always. Bev Daring, John Glidden, our very own Faya Caro, of course. Coming up next, Jim Crinan, classic 70s. He'll take you through to 12 noon. Then it's uh, Brendan T and uh, Born in Boots. Now, my gardenism for the morning is in the spring, at the end of the day, you should smell like dirt. <laughs> oh, yes, you should. Happy gardening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.